morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon back after missing a week because of faulty remembering that I had a golf charity tournament last uh, week. That's not mean, like you. Not, not the faulty remembering. You hate missing a show. I know. It's the second. It's only the second show I've missed in all of my lifetime here. You did a show on vacation. In I know. Can you even believe it? And I was like, Oh no, I have a charity tournament that morning. It didn't even dawn on me. So anyway, so we are, Lou and I are here. Good morning, everyone, by the way. <laughs> I'm on a roll this morning because Lou's yeah. on a roll. I walk in. Wait we, a second. Uh, I'm uh, on a roll. You Well, Lou's on a roll We're because both on a roll. he's complaining about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots. Yes. There's a blower over my head blowing really loud air at me. The chair wasn't right. The table in my in my studio is gone. I, I mean, I can't explain it. <laughs> I walked in on Monday and Lou is very verklempt about somehow that was a high priority this weekend and it got moved out of the studio. I don't know what happened. And then right before we went on air, Lou had to move the chair because there was a chair just randomly placed next to me in the studio. It was in the shot and I probably should have left it, but it wasn't making me look good. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, I show up and I just deal with what's in front of me. No, but for once, it wasn't me saying that there was a problem with the, <laughs> the chair. No, I'm trying to adjust the show to look nice and you're just yelling at me left and right. I was yelling at you? Yeah. Oh, when was I yelling at you? What's wrong now? Oh, well, that's <laughs> not yelling at you. That's corrective emotional experience for you. What? I said it's a corrective, corrective emotional, emotional experience. experience. Yeah. What's wrong now? Now being the operative word because there's always something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anyway, so I missed the show last week, but I had so much to talk about because it was like the week of charity, you know, from being in Florida doing the Veterans Trust and the Human Baton, mm -hmm. like ha basically for felt like a month because I was back and forth and back and forth. And then right off the heels of that, I did like a charity tournament for golf. And then I was back at a, a, a bowling tournament for the Bruins alumni last week, oh, yeah? which that was in the in-between. And then I had Where was another, that? that was at Waymaset okay. Lanes. Yeah. It happens every year. It's fantastic. I will talk about it because... I think I mentioned it last year. Yeah. Um, but I no, no, it's about, a big event. It's what? It's a big event. Oh, it's I'm, a huge I'm event. And it, it raises yeah. great amounts of money. Mm -hmm. Like they've raised millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, who can bowl on the Bruins? Who can bowl with the Bruins? Who can bowl? Who's who's the best bowler on the Bruins? Because um, I know Mookie I Betts know, when he was I here. Don't, was I don't it? really pay attention. Mookie <laughs> Betts when he was here is practically pro. Moogie Betts is as good as it gets. I, I don't know this information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I just know that I have a very good time. It's a lot of fun. It raises money for a good cause. We have a great all-day event, and it's great fun. And yeah. the whole, we take the whole bowling alley over. <laughs> um, and then right after that, which is <clears throat> why I missed the show last week, is that on Wednesday I forgot that – what did I call you on Tuesday? Going, oh, no. Yeah. I have a golf tournament in the morning. Um, I had a golf tournament last Wednesday morning um, for Into Action Recovery, um, which is a uh, recovery home, mm -hmm. um, Fox Run Sober Home, for um, anyone who's in recovery from opiates and alcohol and substance abuse. Um, and, you know, that's a near and dear thing to my heart amongst yep. a few of my other charities that has to do with um, veterans going in for recovery and rehab and also um, just the general public that have opiate and alcohol issues. So um, a wonderful company into action recovery. Uh, it's a charity here and locally, and they have mm -hmm. a, a sober home that's uh, for men and women in uh, Tewksbury, Massachusetts. And uh, it's been open for a few years and I'm a big supporter of them. And uh, the woman who, one of the women that are on the board, she and I are good friends. And so I'm always there <laughs> to support her. And uh, so yeah, in the past month, I feel I woke up this morning and said, "Oh my God, I have no more charity events for a while." Okay, well, you can just enjoy. Halloween. Well, except for the fact that I'm running the Boston Marathon yeah, in two weeks, and that's the biggest one for me for the year. I wasn't aware there were mixed uh, sober houses. A mixed, like they, I thought alcohol and opiates, for example, were separate most of the time. Oh, so sub you are you talking about the substances combined? Yeah. Oh no, it's substance abuse altogether. Really? It doesn't matter if Most you, don't have, you don't have to separate too. out like okay. an opiate use person versus a, it's addiction is addiction is addiction. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Just I mean, I know there are specific houses or, or rehab centers specifically for, but by and large, my experience, and I'm sure people will say that's not true, but my experience is that most are a dual combined poly poly substance abuse because hard because usually if there's one, there's another. Yeah. People aren't just, just alcoholic yeah, or just true. opiate yeah. users. It's usually a combination. Not always, obviously, but most of the time. So anyway, here I am. And so when's the marathon? The marathon is two weeks from yesterday. Ask me if I'm ready. <laughs> well, God bless all you people. It's not my favorite event. But I'm not ready God bless because I've had a little bit of a you know rough since since Bill died. Yeah. It's been a little truncating of my training. And then you'll laugh at this because I was telling people yesterday. So remember when I went a couple weeks ago to the first time I went down in the human baton and I did that big gala weekend for like the fighter pilot giveaway yep. and all that stuff. Well, I, was, <clears throat> I have no one but myself to blame because you have to look beautiful sometimes. And I was wearing very high heels for a very long period of time, like seven hours. And yes, I should have taken them off sooner, but I didn't. So I've been rehabbing my very numb left foot because I pinched. It's been an ongoing issues. Yeah. Because of the high heel shoes that I was wearing, girl problems. And, um, <laughs> you know, people just don't understand, you know, the price of wearing yeah. high heels. And I have had a numb foot ever since, and it's getting better, but it has drastically truncated my training because I'm trying to get to the root, literally, of the nerve problem because it's not, it's happening in my foot, but it's probably in my calf and my hip. Yep. So I've got lots of people working on it. You so gotta, you got to make it this time. You're gonna. <laughs> hey, of course. Well, I we'll see what I'm see. Keep moving forward. See my shirt today. This yes. is from the Valhalla Project. In the back of it, it basically says keep keep moving forward, and it says um, no, no puking, no crawling, no just go keep going <laughs> forward. So it's my mantra in my head of. Of, and I'll show it to you afterwards, but the back is like, the whole back is like, you know, there's no crying, there's no puking, yeah. there's no, just go for it. Uh, Edna says, thank you for uh, talking about interaction recovery in the Fox Run Sober Home. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful program and I'm happy to talk about it. So um, anyone that you can go online and they have a website and it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic project. Um, I'm happy to support. Um, so anyway, so the, whole theme of my Boston Marathon in the next two weeks is to keep moving forward, whether I'm crawling, walking, dragging, <laughs> rolling down the hill to, from Newton into Boston, because yep. my foot's numb. My foot is numb. And I haven't been talking about it because I figured it will re, it will recover. But it didn't recover yet. And I'm yeah. two weeks out. You've got two weeks, yeah. Thanks. But I'm in good shape. Just a matter of like what it's going to look like out there on the course. Yeah. So it's very exciting. So I'm doing it for the New England Patriots Foundation, which, um, you know, I did my, uh, one of my big fundraisers, I'm still raising money. Um, and I did my big squares and for all the people that supported, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for helping. And, and I had a big winner for those tickets, those two tickets I gave away for the, um, support of their charity contribution. So, um, just thank God it, it wasn't me. Josh and Holly. I won't give out last names, but Josh and Holly won the tickets. And in the meantime, for people that have given to me, all other people, including yourself, Lou, got entered into um, the New England Patriots actually picked up and is giving away on October 15th to all the donors for the 14 uh, runners. They're giving away a variety of sets of tickets and other things for people that have supported as, as good swag. And so I'm also giving away some more stuff over the next couple of weeks. Cause I have until the end of October to raise money yeah. to finish out my stuff. And, um, so people that already gave, it wasn't just my, my, my tickets were the ones that I was giving from my actual generation, but the actual Patriots foundation is going to give to any, they're going to randomly obviously pick, you know, yeah. a variety of people that have given. So you could still win tickets. And after your Just comment not this to morning, see the about, it will not be to the Bucks game <laughs> no. with the Patriots this weekend no. because you're already on a roll about them. I'm struggling with this. Yeah. It's a tough week. Why are you struggling? It's just going to be a game. It's going to be, because I love Bill and Tom, and I hate Bill and Tom at this oh, point. I'm, I know. Uh, You've been posting a lot about this. You haven't been yep. posting a lot I'm, lately until this. I'm worked up. You I'm are. Worked, I'm you, emotionally if involved If anyone knows here. Lou online, you <laughs> should go see his post because they had been whoppers this week. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to be doing therapy on Wednesday yeah. for the Tom's pissing me off. Bill's pissing me off. I'm, I'm upset that we don't have Tom here. I'm upset that Tom is coming here. I'm, I'm, I'm just, this you is just emotionally tough. Yeah. 
Because I would take them back from you and say, naughty, <laughs> naughty, naughty, naughty. It's just, Why? Because he's just supposed to go and have fun. I mean, part of the drama is the thing between Bill and Tom. Come on now. No, it's not a positive. I, I understand it, but maybe, maybe Tom's that's like a, dad. That's like saying it's a positive. Your parents sort of charge this whole thing up. Yeah, you know that. Well, yes, but <laughs> I mean, let's go back to the root because that's where, in my mind, a week and a half ago. But Tom's if you're citing Tom's, dropping out stuff. if you're citing Tom's dad, the root is Tom. Well, yeah, but Tom's dad should zip it. Well, you know, Tom hasn't exactly zipped it either. And Tom's <laughs> passive aggressive, which is just as just as irritating. The, and so Bill's aggressive aggressive. This is perfect for the dynamic talk of today and other topics of, of being your best self. Is they have the quintessential family dynamic from hell. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Is that and by the way, did you hear the news this morning? The family, like they do, it's family fighting. Have you heard the news this morning? I oh no. Well, Wickersham's book is coming out. Yeah. About the Patriots, and there were highlights released this morning, and they're you want to talk about the dysfunctional family? It, yeah. The the things that they're talking, just the highlights that were released this morning. I have not. You'll have to. You'll have to. Yeah. Send me that over. I haven't had a hot second this morning to do anything. But this is here. a Boston Irish family right here. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Patriots well, are a so Boston that's, Irish I mean, family. That's why I'm saying, like, yeah. without, I mean, I don't know what's in the highlights of the book or whatever, but I, um, from my own experience in working in in um, the major leagues and and NFL guys that I work with and all mm -hmm. this stuff, this is a really common experience that yeah. nobody really talks about. Is that it's it's rep it's it's first of all it's a group and groups represent roles and families. All the group members play a role. I mean, there is a reason why you know. I don't even know if Bill realizes it, but when you say do your job, every person in a family has a role. Right. So every person in a group or every person in a in a company, you all are on a team. So you all have a role and what role you play is how it plays out. And right. if it's dysfunctional and the family as a whole is dysfunctional, well, there you have your issues, you know, that lead to things like addiction and other things. Yeah. Right. So here it is. We're talking about um, a football team. Most football teams have issues. Most Sure. Families have, it's just like a family because they're all together. They spend lots of time together. There's fighting. There's disagreements. There's high you know, stakes. Right. So so it doesn't it, whatever's in the book won't probably surprise me because 26 odd years of doing this particular thing and coming from a background of a very dysfunctional gymnastics family background yeah. of like we were all like it's sports. <laughs> I find I find Bill fascinating because he's at one. He's on one hand a zen master yes he, he's a brilliant individual yes and on the other hand he's emotionally crippled you you get the do your job I would say it's emotionally truncated okay you get the do your job and you get the uh uh we're on the cincinnati which is as brilliant a piece of life advice as you could ever get yes out. it that that was just it literally changed my life that was a turning point for me we're on the cincinnati just as a philosophy you just look at it and yet He's got all these issues with Tom. He's got all these issues. You know, he's just he's just got got issues. He's he can seem to rise above it, but he can't seem to get out of his own way sometimes. Well, I mean, so going back to the metaphor of family, right? Yeah. Look at how look at how say say a son and a father, mm -hmm. or you know, a mom. It's the same thing. It's yep. you have you have these moments where it's like really close and loving, and we're on to Cincinnati, and we move on, and we don't punish for whatever, and then. We have moments where it's like we're gonna fight like banshees, or we're gonna have <laughs> yeah. we're gonna have the disagreement, and, you know, agree to disagree, and it's gonna be my way, and it's gonna be my way. It's the it's the rebellion and the tussle and all yep. those things. So so in my mind, clinically, I always am looking at it from, well, this is a dysfunctional family, and this is what I expect. And sometimes it's functioning great, and sometimes it's not. Um, well, the parenting thing, the big paradox is this happens with most parents and kids is that the parents will advise one thing and live another thing. Yes, do as I say, not as I do. Right. right. So, And we all know that kids pay more attention to modeling than they do whatever you say. Right. And so this is an important concept. Sure. And, and this is, seems to be a lot of the dynamic with Bill as the quote-unquote father of the organization. It's his role. Right. What he is. The advice that he passes out and the stuff that he takes on himself is not always in sync. doesn't always seem to be in sync. Well, and, well, and but that's to your point, right? Yeah. Is that I mean, there's no there's no perfect, 
And like I yeah. say to lots of my clients is like, there's no perfect parenting. You're going to mess up and you're going to be messed up too. You know? Yeah. So, so yes, yes to all of that. So it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's about what do you then bypass and say, you just keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. Like my shirt says, keep moving forward. And <laughs> I'm not trying to lighten, like lighten it up to be like, oh, it's no big deal. No, I know. There's really, there's really nothing because, you know, Tom's going to come. I mean, I'm speculating here. Tom's going to come. Gronk's going to come. They're going to have their thing. It's going to be, yeah, I'm more worried about what's going to happen in the stands rather than on the field, <laughs> quite yeah. frankly. Um, and then, you know, and then, and then everyone's going to go back to their corners and do their thing. And there'll be, you know, maybe a little, bah, 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 bah. but I imagine Bill's not, no matter what, Bill's not going to really say a lot. No, Tom mm, probably won't say a lot. Rob might say a little bit. Giselle will probably say a little bit. His dad might say, but it, you know, and it's going to kind of go back to Tom would be passive aggressive. It will be, it will go back to kind of functioning as, as usual in the family. So I just see it as this family dynamic that continues. It's not new. It's just highlighted because now it's like these opposing teams and it's like, so Well, this week it's in our face. It's in our home. Right. It's, it's like, exactly. It's like having a blowout at the Christmas party. Right. Well, Thanksgiving. Well, right. It's coming to Thanksgiving and yeah. we're going to, and it's going to blow up and, and dad's going to be leaving the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's going to be the type of thing that uh, people t- talk I mean, about I'm for really, generations I, in a family. This weekend when the saints won, Ugh. I cringed a little because yeah. we don't lose to the saints. Oh, and it was worse than it sounds. They, they yes, were awful. Well, they were awful. Well, I was, I was, um, I was at another charity event on that <laughs> same day doing a race for the Ray Bork Foundation. Actually, yep. I'm thinking, oh my god, where was I? So I was watching the game during the while I was running a race and at the end of the race because I was doing all my stuff and I was cringing watching the highlights, going, "Oh no, this is awful." Yeah, it, so, it but, is awful. You know, where the Patriots are a fresh team and their mindset has to get into it. And you know, I don't work it I don't work with the team per se. I, I have a couple individuals yep. that I work with here and there. So I can't do anything about the team, but I know the team dynamic. <laughs> uh, this is gonna be a bloodbath. Um this is gonna it be an probably absolute will. bloodbath. I'm hoping that it won't. I'm trying to keep optimistic yeah. that we're all coming in and gonna play well, on both sides. It's hard because I'm a fan of both sides because of like you said, I love them and I don't, but I love, but I have, I have my stuff. On I love sides. them and I'm pissed. At, I'm just really pissed at both of them. And it's funny for most people. We're going to need therapy, aren't we? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> for a lot of people in this area, this is two decades. Yeah. The two of these people have represented two very special decades. We've all loved it. We've all enjoyed it. It's all been a big part of our lives. And it's just uh, from our perspective, from where we are, it's coming unraveled and it's, it's, it's deliberate. It's not. It's not all of these things happen. It's like Tom didn't pull a knee injury and right. you know have to retire or something like that. No. It's just, it, ca- it came apart in the worst, in the most childish and disingenuous type of way. It was just useless. You know what it is? I don't know, but you're having a good time today putting <laughs> this out there. <laughs> no, it is. It's my thing. I know we've talked about this before. Somewhere my kids are rolling their eyes. It's unnecessary hard. Right. There's so much hard in the world that we have to deal with that we have to. Why are people making unnecessary art? And th- this is what happens. This is, this is a, a whole shipload. Did you just swear? <laughs> no, I said shipload. Oh, I thought you said. Okay. I was like, <laughs> this wow. Is shipload of unnecessary hard. That's what we're looking at. So interesting to me because this is a conversation I've already had early this morning with someone about. And I think I've talked to you about this before is decisions that make us go down the right path or choices that make it, they're hard mm-hmm. and decisions that make us go down the yucky, crappy shipyard <laughs> path. Yeah. Those are hard. All, all choices in life decisions in life is hard. It's, it really is because yeah. making the right decision is hard. Making the wrong decision is hard because they're both going to end up in somewhere, but one's going to be a better place, even though they're both going to be hard. And and, there, you know, there's really no getting around that is like there's no easy decision or there's no easy like there's no easy yeah. outs on anything. It's a matter of the fact that one outcome is going to be better than the other outcome and it's whether or not you choose to do that. You know, yeah. it's hard to say no to drugs for some people and it's hard to, you know, um, not say no to drugs. But one leads you to sobriety and health and one leads you to possible death. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, the extremes there is like the choices are that. 
people are always working on it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Talking to my 14 and a half year old niece this morning from school <laughs> as she's crying. Yeah. Hi, Kate, because we're sure you're not listening at school right now because you're probably listening to me. We we're talking about hard decisions of, you know, it's hard to it's hard when you have your dad pass away and you're yep. sitting with it and function when you want to go home and lay down versus it's hard to stay at school and still function and still do despite that. And she was fighting that this morning. Yeah. So it's the, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a position of comparing these two things, Yeah, but they have a similarity that I was just going to bring up in yeah. that the most of us who are dealing with it have no control over the situation. Well, and that's, and that's, and that's, the, that's, that's the disabling variable yeah. is the, the lack of control. What yeah. do you have control over versus what you don't? And but when you have a formula of something that has such an effect on you, but you have no control over it, it's frustrating and it's, mm -hmm. it's difficult to deal with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, and that's where people get frustrated or people have their um, moments of, you know, lack of motivation or the apathy or the complacency or whatever the negative outcome word that will come with driving you towards the behavior that will be like, take you out of your game, so to speak, yeah. you know, and that's life on the field, in your business, in your family. I mean, these are the, this is, crosses over all things. And, you know, like you and I've talked about the compartmentalize. Oh, well, when I was an athlete, I was able to do yeah. it. But when I'm in real life, yeah. well, no, actually it's the same exact thing. Yeah, you have fun. to be able to turn your head and re reciprocity of, of the actual concept to be like, Oh, actually it matches there, there, and there. And this has been frustrating for me because this is one of the areas I focus on where you have things that you don't have control over that aren't really necessarily important, why are you giving energy to it? So and what, I find so myself giving energy to it, and I don't know why. So you're giving energy to the um, Patriots-Bucks game that you have just no the whole the whole Tom and Bill thing and just... So does it? So let's have some therapy for a second. Yeah. Does it make you sad? Because it's like they're... they're, they're, they're dad and son role <laughs> is challenged, essentially? No, I feel denied. You feel denied? Yeah. From Tom's Tom's last year should have been here. Okay. We should have had we should have had two, three, possibly four more years of Tom. So it's like uh, you're grieving I, the loss of your brother leaving home too soon. I guess. Right. It's a fair enough. Right. Yeah. But see, the Patriots were a thing for us for the last twenty years right. that has been a mood regulator for us it's important to people in new england it has been important for 20 years so but okay so here's the reframe of this mm -hmm. oh, this is so good i'm so glad that you're for clump today because <laughs> i love that word um because so well sunday was a great wait, example me, don't interrupt start wait yes when this is the conversation i have the last time i was in for the show is about when people have their identity, like veterans or athletes, yeah. you're also having an identity that this has been your identity. Like in the sports world, many people right. are like this. I've had this conversation sure. a lot in the past two weeks. Your identity has been the Patriots, this dynasty, this thing, right? right. And now it's all of a sudden like, well, well now what? Same thing that the athlete It's over. Retires. There's been a death it's of over. self. Yeah. Now what do I have to put my energy in? Where am I going to put that? Where's my loyalty going to be? Because you were, you like, millions of people that I've, you know, heard about or talked to or whatever, not all of them, but, you know, that intense committed relationship to what Sundays mean, what, you know, what all those things, you know, they yep. mean everything because it's family. Everyone gets together. I mean, it's such a, you know, you, you have the, so the football team itself, we'll take the Patriots in the center of your world on a Sunday, for instance, what happens on that? Most of the time when you have that kind of feeling, there's something that's happened. There's a ritual that comes involved. There's food, there's drinks, yep. there's friends, there's family. And then everyone comes together and does the universal shared experience, just like loosely, just like, you know, people going into the, you know, into the military, right. people going into rehab, people, go, it's groups together that are all sharing the universal shared experience. And when that universal shared experience gets, lacks cohesion because someone leaves the group or something happens that the group starts falling apart, yeah. then we start having issues. And for people like you and me, for example, that ride or die thing is what you, I mean, if you were an athlete in the past, you seek this out. This right. is why so many people love the NFL and love football. 
because it's because they were athletes and they can belong to something. Right. And the, and the charge and the chase yeah. and the excitement. So now it's interesting. And then Tom left you know. and then Tom just said, you know, f football team sports, sports in general is ride or die. Mm -hmm. and Tom, Tom just left. See you. Well, and I think, and I think that so many people, I mean, you can, you know, I was at the revs game this weekend yeah. and for people that are listening that are from not here, um, the revolution, the, it, that's the soccer team here. Um, the, Stands were full. I mean, it was it was probably the fullest game I've ever seen at the Revs, whether it's because the pandemic made everyone stay and everyone decided we got to go to the stadium and sit. <laughs> but the same kind of fervor and the excitement and the intensity about just being there to share a universal shared experience. And even though the Patriots weren't playing, I'm in the same stadium, I could feel the energy yeah, sure. coming this, even though everyone was there for the soccer game, I could feel that energy coming for the, you know, it's the families coming back together. Yeah. So that's where this whole motivational thing in my head got of like, oh, what's happening? Because you could feel the dynamic of the family that's been broken apart is going to come and finally be back together. And how's it going to be at the table? Because it's going to be interesting um, because people have, their identities have changed. People have done work on themselves. You know, I'm keeping it in the metaphor of therapy. It's yep. people have moved along. They have a surrogate father. They have, you know, the new coach, right? They have all these other things. They have, they've moved to a different area demographically. They have other influences like going off to college, you know, so it's very yeah. much relatable to real everyday life of families losing or breaking apart and coming back together and seeing how it's going to go. And people are so revved up about it because they want the cohesion back, which is what you're talking about. Yep. We always look to be cohesive because that's what keeps us healthy and in homeostasis, even if it's not healthy, <laughs> even if it's a rough cohesion, right? Everyone's bonded together under whatever circumstance. But when people lose that, people struggle, which is the whole thing about veterans I was talking about is you go off to war together and you do your thing and you come back and then you go your separate ways to your own, you know, yep. your, your edges of the rings. And then it's like, wait a second, what happened to my togetherness and, and right. my bonds and people grieve the loss. So what they do is chase after it in another way. So that's why, you know, this game this weekend is, I think for many reasons, that's a big reason of why people are so charged up about it. You know, whether they win or lose, it's really, I don't think, from everything I've been hearing, it's not really about who's winning or who's losing. It's more about the what's the what's it going to be like the family dynamic. Yeah, well, because everyone wants to see like all the nuances of is Tom and are they going to fight? Is there going to be something? Yeah, the handshake. Everyone's talking about yeah. what happens after the game, which is <sighs> kind of bizarre. Well, but it's like it, it basically it's been a death of self, and it's mm -hmm. unnecessary. Because who we were as Patriots fans and that community coming together on Sunday. And it doesn't have to be in your living room. I mean, you go out to the grocery store on Sunday morning and you see everybody in their Patriot shirts and everybody's up for it. And you know, everyone's in a good mood on Monday when they win and, you know, that type of thing. And that's all gone now. That's just, it's just well, come so unravel. All or nothing. Well, it's not, it's not all gone. It's just changed. Did you watch last year? I did. Did you watch Sunday? But I don't count last year. Yeah. Last year is a, a wash in my head. Just All right. Because did you see Sunday's game? I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. Well, I didn't remember. I didn't see the whole thing. I didn't need to because it was cringeworthy. But, but I also no, I checked out for a while so, after From a psychological time, yeah. perspective and sports psych is I understand that there's going to take an adjustment period. And as much as people are probably like, oh, Pollyanna, it's really not because this is how progress, you know, they had to reset essentially. The whole team is essentially new. Mac Jones, new, 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 right? So this is all everyone's starting to learn. So I don't expect as negative as this is, I don't expect the Patriots to win. No. Tom, God, no. Tom they, they know this team. They know Bill Belichick. They know. So it's more of like, you know, it's going to be a fun time in the stands. I'd give 20 points in this game with Tampa Bay <laughs> easily. And I'd do it easily. But on the other hand, what you've got, you've got all that struggle, that death of self and rebuilding and things like that. Well, on the other hand, Tom's winning Super Bowl championships. And, yes. You know, it's, just, it's difficult. And then it's difficult when he's in Tampa and you're up here and, you know, it's a four o'clock game and a one o'clock game and there's that separation. It's exceptionally more difficult when he's showing up at your house. Yes. And he's going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> And it's going to be ugly. Oh, my God. Yeah.
I can see that Sunday night we're gonna be on the phone. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Have no. to be like doing breathing exercises. I don't know if I'm Eight watching this thing. Game. I don't Are know. You gonna be able to stay up that late? <laughs> I can stay up that late. You're gonna have your. I don't. Not, I don't think I'm watching this game. Not oh gonna, come on! I'm gonna sit down and watch. Stop this being game. a big baby. Okay. <laughs> then if you don't watch the game, you don't get to comment on it the next day. Uh, it's fine. I'm not sure I want to comment on it the next day. <laughs> I'm gonna I I'm gonna get you on your social media post if you post and you don't watch that game. I won't post if I don't watch the game. Right? Okay, make sure you. Oh my gosh, if you guys aren't watching, very <laughs> distraught about this. This is like huge. I know, and like I said, this is a struggle for me because these are the type of things that I've been teaching myself to just let go. You know, don't. Why am I attached to this? But I just told you why you're attached. Yeah, it's like it, it, right? It's it's all these. It's all the trappings of of you're connected you felt bonded to you felt cohesion yeah. there's a big re you know how many people have you seen and this this happens in lots of the teams but particularly here in new england people feel like even though they're the, the farthest thing from being a player on the team that they're part of the team like if they yeah. don't show up for their season ticket day and they're sitting in their seats whatever that it's not going to play right if they don't wear their shirt if they don't wear their it's because all that ritualistic piece of belonging yep. is there. And right now everyone, not everyone, but many people feel sort of like the forgotten child, the, you know, they're hanging out in the wind. There's no cohesion. Where are we going? It feels like it's all over the place. And, and you, it's all because these people can't get it say, together. We're going to win this week. And everyone's no, like, we're no. going to get killed. That's crazy. You know? And so I'm like, well, we don't know. Let's, let's have a little faith in Mac. And it's all because these people couldn't get their act together, which is the annoying part of it. Who 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 can't get their act together now? Uh, Tom and Bill and oh. Mr. Kraft can't get their act together. I'm not making comments. <laughs> I know I, you can't. I'm I'm being quiet. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna drink my coffee. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, if you go to Dunkin' Donuts Day on the app, you get a free coffee oh, there, if there you, you use your app. There <laughs> There's you a plug for Dunkin' Donuts today. <laughs> oh my God! All right, I didn't um, mean to drag it all there, but uh, it's it's. But so it's dealing so, with emotions. But this, but this is important, even though we're kind of making tongue-in-cheek fun of the fact yeah. that it's about football and all those things. This is really to to put it out there for most people. This is like what happens in families. Truly, yep. this is the yeah. quintessential breaking a part of a family and it coming back together to to not do repair work in this case this is not repair this is you know most people when they come back together it's like okay we're going to try to have a civil whatever this is not under those circumstances being honest right it's not coming back for cohesion there's no way that i mean they're rival teams now so you have to come in and bring your game so families do this think about thanksgiving yeah. I haven't seen you in a year. I don't like you. <laughs> Things didn't end well the last time you were drinking. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like Irish Catholic family. <laughs> we're gonna, right. We're about to blow it up and yeah. punch each other yeah. and then go our separate ways again for the next year. So in families like that, you know, my my recommendation is don't go to the Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Don't show up at the table kind of thing because it's not worth your fight. So you just mocked me for not. I, I seriously don't I'm think I'm going to watch the game. You. Oh, don't do that. Sunday night. It's not mocking you. Okay. How was I mocking you? I don't know. You seem just sensitive. Seem displeased that I wasn't going to oh watch the God. game Sunday. For all my listeners, somebody send <laughs> Louis tissue. <laughs> Just trying to work through some, some things. I'm trying it's to all, help you work through yeah. it with better perspective. That you just think of it like it's going to be, you know, people showing up to the dinner table. It's not going to go well. And then people are going to go with their separate ways again. That's one way of looking at it, the yeah. negative way. Or we could have an optimistic thought that maybe everyone will just play nice. Not on the field because, you know, we yep. want a good game. But, but everyone will do their thing and then go home. And then everyone will talk bad about each other behind their back like a normal family. Exactly. If... <laughs> If that happens, if they, they they're going to play the game, but Tampa Temp Bay is going to win rather handily, and then we're all going to be uh, uh, excited about what happens at midfield after the game. And Tom and Bill go over, they do a handshake, they do a hug, they walk away. Everyone, all everyone's going to be thinking is, "Well, I was passive aggressive too," because you know how they feel well, and what they're going to say afterwards. That. Yes, I'm going to be thinking. Maybe that. they'll hug and cry. Maybe. I mean, let's have other alternative thoughts. Maybe they'll may. I mean, it's not like they're not going to see each other before the game. They're going to see each other, so maybe they'll get some hashed out stuff then. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Well, we'll see because next week 
I'm sure we'll talk about the the bloodshed and the aftermath of the family barbecue. <laughs> um, but just life would be so much easier if this just weren't on the schedule. Okay, well, it is on schedule. Yeah, you know, it really is. I mean, it wouldn't be that much easier. It hasn't been all that easy, but so okay, so. Moving it over, I know we're going to keep coming back to that, but but moving it over really truly to like the, it's a good metaphor for what I was talking to you about the week before on the show is like we were talking about veterans and mm -hmm. we were talking about suicide and talking about families and protective factors and all these resiliency things. So just moving over for a moment because yep. that's where I was actually going to go today <laughs> as we get stuck on the other thing, which is fine. Um, but just talking about how, um, you know, this is good jumping point for how important cohesion is for people and what loss is for people and how it impacts their um, emotional center to be healthy or emotionally regulated. I think you used that word a while ago is how to maintain emotional regulation mm -hmm. when something tragic or something perceptually is tragic to them, whether it's an actual death or someone walks away or turns right. their back or there's a big fight or blow up. But with, you know, when you're, when you're talking about veterans or you're talking about people who have trauma, emotional or physical or both, and what are their outlets and how do they, you know, how do they then, repair those things um and you know we touched i've touched on this many times but a few weeks ago i was talking about you know the reach out to like alcohol the reach out to drugs the reach out to um gambling sex like all the things that are the ism things that make you self-soothe and feel good when you're lacking the excitement or the or the rev up of the body that gives you that emotional charge when you're in the middle of yep. something heightened that's traumatic you know you seek out or chase something that's going to make your body feel good and your mind have the surge of dopamine and surge of all right. the serotonin the feel-good stuff which fills the cup up so to speak but then it depletes so you're always chasing it right you know similar to the thing about the football mm -hmm. today, right yep. so so escapism or distraction yeah, escapism and distraction, but the, to the point of the deficit of like yeah. what happens to, you know, um, the theme, you know, the theme of my charity stuff in the past, you know, month has been veterans and veteran suicide and, and you know, now the Warrior for Life Fund, which was for um, the Bowl with Bruins um, and helping, you know, post-war um, retired or veterans or active duty um, get involved with uh, an activity like hockey or uh, you know, running or whatever the charity may be to help channel and distract and really put something in that's healthy for the veteran and family or a person who's in addiction like a place like into action recovery in the sober homes. How do you channel so that the thing that was giving them the high is now that's damaging them is replaced with something that's healthy, you know, sublimating it over. Um, and that's super hard because people end up going with what they know and they'll keep repeating the toxic self-soothing behavior that gets them into the addiction or gets them into the pattern of mm, well, dysfunction. Generally speaking, the toxic self-soothing behavior is easy. It's take a pill, take a drink. Well, it becomes do, do whatever you do easy, as opposed to, rebuilding a life that is structured around something that can replace that right yeah you know, it's just it's easy it's it's a pharmaceutical uh, yeah, i mean not, obviously not in a shopping addiction or a sex addiction or right. something like that but those fixes are easy right you just you just go do it and well they're you, easier to obtain it, yeah because you can get them under your own control and power you have to have a third party for the other stuff but building something that soothes you and and fulfills you Otherwise, it's difficult. It takes time. It takes some perseverance. Well, and I, th and I think that many times, and you've seen this, is that people get into um, self-soothing behaviors that by the time that they're in too far, they haven't realized. And by the time they are in too far, they deny that it's actually happening because time has passed and they don't realize, but they do realize. And to admit that to oneself, uh, that's yeah. where people get stuck is, ooh. Well, I know, you know, that's why people relapse, 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 trying to get, you know, sober is because they haven't really admitted and fully said, I have no control over this. Right. I have to let go because people don't want to say they don't have control over something or that it's become over them. You know, food, for instance. I mean, that's take all the other stuff because it's easier sometimes for people to relate to the food addiction thing. Yep. I mean, self-soothing and constantly eating or 
restricting, but most of the time constantly eating is that exact thing. It's when you have a thought of boredom or sadness or agitation or resentment or anger or whatever, you go to the food. It's self-soothing, self-soothing, self-soothing. And now you're 500 pounds, yeah. legit, right? Or 400 pounds. And then you're like, how did that happen? You know exactly logically and intelligently. You know how it happened. Right. But then the thought of having to wrap yourself around, not the food itself, because the food is just food, alcohol, sex, gambling. Those are all symptoms of the problem. It always comes back to the problem sits at the base of the emotional core. What has been driving that? Um, seeing people die in war, uh, abuse, emotional neglect, people not getting what they need from mm -hmm. their families, people not getting love, people um, having, you know, sexual abuse. Those are the, those are the underlying things that have caused the person to have emotional fractures that lead them to the self-soothing behavior. Right. And so people often will say, you have to get sober and then work on the problem. You can't do, you have to do both at the same time. You can't, you, it's not one than the other, one than the other. You, and I've been in several in the past 20 years, I've been in several places who have that philosophy of, you know, and yes, obviously get the person clean or get the, the not even have to be in rehab, but just get a person to stop doing the behavior and then, then work on the underlying. It's easier to do work on the underlying while you're stopping the behavior. So that, that behavior ends up not right. coming back because people work on, I can, people can get sober easy. Yeah. I mean, and I say that loosely with air quotes because people who aren't seeing me are going to be like, that's not true. It's easy to just put it down for a day or two for not heroin or whatever, but just generally speaking. Sure. But to stay that way, you actually have to do the work of the pain that created you to go there in the first place. And people don't like to do that because you have to look at abandonment and feelings of less thanness and um, insecurities and things parents have said to you or coaches or feeling like a failure or feeling unlovable or worthless or all these things. And when you have all of those, which many people do in, in addiction of all sorts, then they don't want to do that work because it's really painful. But I always point out that you've done all that work already because you did all that work to get to where you got into the addiction. You just didn't realize it because it was so automatic and obvious to you that, well, this was just the easiest way and you found something that would be an outlet. So now it's the same thing in reverse, but you actually have to look at it. You actually but the whole act of addiction is turning away from it. And what you need to, to work on that is you have to turn towards it. Mm -hmm. And people who end up in addiction are usually there because it's exceptionally difficult for them to turn towards whatever it is that's underlying. Right. Plus right. again, lack of control. Cause first of all, you had the lack of control for the problem. Secondly, you can't undo it. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Like, like trauma, right? So yeah. PTSD, you can't go back and undo it. And that's the act of undoing is when people can't undo um, war trauma, for instance, they go to something that will self-soothe. Yep. Not always, but typically I'm trying to think of like all the veterans that I've worked with and work with now that they all have some self-soothing behavior that they're doing, even if it's not active, like what we call addiction, there's some self-soothing behavior. We all have one. Sure. It's just a matter of, what line do we draw that then it becomes functioning versus non-functioning? You know, addiction is essentially, you know, the tolerance withdrawal piece with how much functional discord do you have? So when people say, oh, he or she's a functioning alcoholic, I cringe hmm. because, you know, just because a person can go to work <laughs> doesn't mean that they right. can function. Right. Um, That's a context Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, yes, they can function during the day, but then they come home. I mean, I have a, a wife of a client um, who goes to work all day. And then as soon as she gets home, she starts drinking from like three 30 in the afternoon, gives you context of sort of what her schedule is in the day. And all the way till she passes out. Usually what I hear as a report is like eight or nine at night. So she's only up in her normal, like waking hours that are not work time for about six hours. She doesn't really eat. She's thin as a rail. And that's what she's doing, but she won't look at any of those other pieces. Now her husband's in therapy with me talking about this, doing the work that she should be, doing, yeah. which is really common because he's looking at it, but she's not. And he's struggling with it because his functioning is being impacted by her right. doing that. Yep. Um, so it's, it's incredibly um, 
damaging to people on the outside because their functioning is getting impaired by the other person, which is why the family is often in the addiction. You know, families are never not in the addiction. It's like, oh, that I'm not the addict. Well, you're in the family, so you're part of it because you're getting impacted by it. And that treats that changes the way you treat the situation because you're part of it. Um, people often think they're assigned blame by that, and that's not what that is. It's right. about, you know, here's this woman who's drinking. She has no connection to you she's your wife, you're struggling with it. You can't do things. She's, you can't go out. You can't talk and you have no life. Right. And so it's being truncated. So your functionality is when you go to work, you have your work, but that's your only social outlet for that instance. Right. So it's really about treating that. And how do you get that? Sometimes you have to walk away from it. Sometimes you have to say no more. Um, in this case, I think, I think my client is, cringeworthy to say, but I think he's sort of waiting for her to pass away, Yeah, yeah. you know, because I mean, he's like, there's no other out for him. The other alternative is many outs for him, yeah. but he won't do them. You know, it doesn't find them acceptable. Right. Right. Well, I'm like, let's put her in rehab. Let's do it now. So it's, you know, it's a matter of like course, but going back to the self-soothing behaviors, what, what people do to self-soothe is what gets them into the habit. Um, to mask and band-aid the underlying problem. And that underlying problem is very painful for a lot of people, which is why they're doing what they're doing in the first place. Yeah. You know? And and I'm going to debunk the whole thing where people are like, it's genetics. I have no other ah, it's it can be genetics, but everything can be prevented. You yeah. Can, you it can be you can have a genetic load for heart disease. But right. you can prevent a heart attack. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to stop it, maybe inevitably. But there's a there's a choice to make of: Are you going to eat red meat, drink a vat of butter, drink beer all day, like like all the, or are you going to pro you prolong and prevent as long as you can? I mean, if it's inevitable that you're going to have a heart attack or or some cardiac event because you have heart disease, that's one thing. But if you're actively pursuing the route to make it happen, yeah, well, you're not preventing it. Addiction and genetics—that's a predilection. That's not a sentence that's not right well it's not so destiny. you can be genetically loaded yep. that's what i call it genetically loaded or vulnerable to having addiction you know it runs in families but then you have preventability you have uh, you know there's ways to go about not having it come out i mean there's been so many twin studies and great research done around like people born into alcoholic families or addiction families that don't turn out that way why is it there's resiliency factors I mean, that could be a whole two part series, you know? So when I'm speaking today on these things, it's more general terms. It's certainly like, it's, oh, it's not sure. preventable. Like, oh, it's easy. It's not, but it's just a matter of like, if you're, if your father has addiction and he was an alcoholic, for instance, and then he has a whole bunch of children or one, and they all have been become that, that doesn't mean that they all just watched him do it. They watched and they had the genetic load for it. Um, and so therefore they're vulnerable to it. And if you come into the world knowing you have a genetic load, how do you then educate around preventing that? Um, going into, you know, military, many people go into the military and have firsthand experience of really bad things. They have PTSD. One of the first things that happens that I see is they go right to a self-soothing behavior with alcohol or prescription medication that now I'm doing my math in my head about how many clients I see that have a, you know, predisposal to it. Most of the people I see that have addiction that are in that veteran span of like either first responders or veterans, they all have a genetic load. It's like dad or mom or grandpa and grandma or somebody had that. And now they add in the yeah. trauma and it's like, just a double, triple, quadruple whammy to them. Um, so it's super important about like, if I have genetic load and I but know- But there's it, not an inevitability. No, that. right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's that's the preventable part is that yeah. if you're aware of it and you know it, you have to be really careful and mindful that you don't go down that path to do that. You know, that it's it's there and present. Like I have, I personally have um, alcoholism in my family rampant. I mean, I'm trying to think of whose family doesn't, right? Yeah. But it's a matter of then, like, what choices do you make around that and and who who gets hit harder? You know, sometimes families with men in it get hit harder, sometimes women. But it's like, okay, so you have to make active choices knowing just like, you know, you have obesity in your family. I have obesity that runs in my family, so I'm mindful. I'm always running because I know that I'm genetically loaded 
to have hypertension, but, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. But a genetic causes. load. I have all those things in my family. The what? genetic load, the um, uh, nature of it often leads to the nurture of it. Mm -hmm. Often leads to an environment which helps promote it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it gets in that debate of is, is it nature or nurture? It's both. Yeah. Because it will lead, you know, that, one tends to follow the other. Right. And the, and the, in the studies that we've done that are really great in psych and social psych and all those pieces have shown that over and over again, that, you know, that genetic, you know, they, one leads into the other. And, and then, you know, depending on how. If Christmas and Thanksgiving were drinking events in your family. Yeah. And that becomes a, that becomes part of the comfort factor of those holidays. Right. And the general overall picture of the family. Right. Then that's what you carry forward. Well, and then you, well, and usually you've got, so right there, it's like Christmas. So you've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, but then every Sunday too. Yeah. Right. Because old traditional families, our generation, we come up through of Sunday dinners. Yeah. So Saturday, Sunday, you get together for, you know, spaghetti dinner, roast beef dinner, everyone drinks. Then we come to the holiday drinking. You know, so it's, how is it self-soothing around that? But now interesting, because there's some really good studies on this that have been done that the European culture doesn't have some of the same problems that the US culture has around the same thing based around alcohol. Of course, there's addiction and all those things, but the, the rates and the fallout are very different with, you know, say Italy. If you do Italy or France comparisons on some of these numbers, depending if we're just talking about mm -hmm. alcoholism, for instance, because ki kids are allowed to drink younger, the education around alcohol is very different. So the modeling, so the nurture is going to be there. There's genetic load for it, yep. but the nurturing around it is it's more normalized. It's more socialized. It's more acceptable. It's not as taboo. It's taught in moderation. It's taught in like education of like so that rush and, and the way it's made. There's a big culture change. So you have a different rate. So the drawer of that, uh, the drawer of that rebellion isn't as strong. There's not the adrenaline rush. There's not the, right. There's not it's, the, um, you're not fighting the no, don't do that. Yeah. You're not allowed to the law is 21. Like you're not fighting any of that. Yeah. Right. Cause it's been right from birth. It's like, this is normal. Which is something that a 15, 16, 17 year old seeks out this, right. this seeking out a little separation is seeking out a little, they're trying to make themselves. And if I'm being told not to do this, I'm going to do this. Right. I know better. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and so, the taboo of that, I think, leads a lot of our culture of young people to dabble in it, sneak it, hide it, which is, you know, the underside of shame, which builds for people in alcoholism. I mean, one of a couple, but I'd say probably the number one for me in my practice is shame is the underlying driver to ism. The, the shame of self that one is a bad, leading one indicator is not good enough. One is all these bad things, which re, like, you know, they get the efforts, yeah. you know, right. Effort. I don't care. I'm just going to do it. I messed up. Nobody loves me anyway. I'm just going to do it. That drives over and over and over. And it's a belief system. That's not necessarily obviously true, but somewhere along the line, they perceived it to be true or they've been told a narrative of someone somewhere to, then latch onto it and say, well, it must be true. So they're not challenging that. So we take, so we take a veteran who maybe went to military, has served in all these years, and then all of a sudden comes out, seeing all the stuff. They're not drinking after the fact. They were drinking all the way through, or they were doing whatever they were doing all the way through. And now it's like the athlete, now what? Yeah. So they've been set up with the nurture all the way through of how to get through all these things. And now they're on their own with hands off the wheel and ooh, out of control because it's hard to gain control once you've gotten past that speed. Plus point. it's hard for them to get back into social norms because right. you just sent me somewhere to shoot somebody and now you're telling me I can't drink. Right. Okay, come on. <laughs> well, cause that's how we're dealing with the demon. Yeah. Right. Drinking or using the prescription meds, but they're not going to be drugs. quote unquote shamed by the drinking problems. No, they're, sh they're shamed of the behavior that led them to right. have to drink in the first place. Yeah. So shame is a leading indicator. It's something that happens before the so action there's, there's or a shame it can, base underneath a person yeah. typically who has an ism already. Yeah. The person who's so shame is shame and guilt are different, right? People confuse them all the time. Shame is I am bad at the core. I am bad. People think I'm bad. I'm no good. I am nothing. Whereas guilt is I worry about, the perception that I'm doing something wrong, going to do something no. wrong, have done something wrong. And that makes me feel guilty. Like I told you, I'd go out with you this weekend. 
but I really want to stay home and watch, you know, nine perfect strangers. So I'm going to tell you that I'm sick. Yeah. Now I feel guilty because I'm perceiving that you're going to find out, right? Yep. Versus. Yeah, they don't I'm, think they did wrong. They think they're going to be perceived as doing something right. wrong. Right. And yeah. so the judgment's there. Whereas the shame is strict self-judgment. I'm bad. I'm not a good person. Nobody loves me. I'm not lovable. It's all the very specific things that have been cultivated somewhere in childhood. Shame is set from zero to six years old. And by the time you're a teenager or 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 and into addiction or into those places, I can go back into history and I can find it. And people, people, I've had clients fight me like, no, 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 no. And then finally, then there it is because it's always there. What does shame look like at six years old? Um, typically, shame looks like um, little kids who are much more uh, perfectionistic. Um, but what would they typically be shamed for? Oh, oh, varieties of things. Like um, not, well, very common, like OCD kind of things. Like parents are like, oh, don't get your hands dirty. Don't touch. You didn't, you didn't hold your fork right at two. Um, you spilled milk on the table, bad, yeah. bad you, um, you're, you're walking too slow up the stairs. Like you see these little things, like little kids will be walking up a stairway and they're two and a half. Their legs are shorter than the <laughs> stair and the parents like, Oh, you're so slow. Like yeah. those kinds oh, of things yeah. that are innocuous on surface get internalized perceptively into a child's brain of I'm not enough. I'm not right. Right at two years old, two and three years old of, you know, potty training like all the things that are socially norming them into the normal age developmental things. If a parent looks at you and says, you never do it right. Yeah. You made a mess. Your hands are dirty because you touch the mud. Don't touch this furniture like over and over <laughs> and over basic things. I mean, those I could give you extremes, but those are kind of like your basic run of the mill kind of things. Now that looks like, well, what's the big deal? Well, when you internalize one message like that or 10, and then you carry it into your teenage years and you're met with the feeling of less than, because by the time you're six years old, you're feeling like self-esteem is when it's six years old is roughly when your self-esteem is really building. If you're not then socially cultivated and you feel like you're already outcast, you're not enough or you're not good enough and you have anxiety already. Yep. By the time you hit the age where you're exposed to things that you can actually self-soothe with, which is these days, 11, yep. 10, yep. 11, 12, 13, right? it's game on because you're introduced and it's hard to say no. And if you're trying to fit in and you're not a leader, you're a follower and you're trying to fit in with someone who you want to feel like, Oh, they love me. They, right. they give me my emotional yummies because I'm not getting them anywhere else. And they want me to do, they want me to drink with them or they want me to smoke pot with them or they want me to have their parents prescription pill. I'm going to do it because I want them to like me. Yeah. I'm That's not going to be shamed again. Yeah. And people, People say, oh, it's the start of it because they're hanging out with a bad kid. No, the start of it is because they had poor self-esteem because they have felt so much shame and guilt, potentially, or lack of, you know, sense of self and their ego is super fractured. So by the time they get there, this is just a way to try to fill the cup up over and over again. But it's never, never quite there. So when you grow up in a household, um, great book, by the way, if you're ever interested in reading it or have anybody, it's called... Um, adult children of the self-absorbed the so it's adult children of self-absorbed it's about growing up and it's good for anybody but it's about children who grow up in codependent toxic homes um, that create this environment and then alcohol or drug abuse but it's also for people just in general who grow up in these kind of homes mm -hmm. um, and it explains and helps you understand yourself of how the negative messaging and what how you perceive it versus how you can flip it around and understand that it's really wasn't meant for you, but you took it on as you. That's why little kids often will, you know, feel like if their parents are getting divorced, it's their fault. Yep. When we all know it's not their fault, right. but little kids take that on because their perception is that if I were good enough, if I were better, if I was only, if daddy didn't yell at me or right. Yep. And that's, you can't, I created all this dissatisfaction. Right. Yep. And it's like, you can tell a kid all day long. I have these conversations with kids all the time. It's not your fault. You, that glaze over it's irrelevant. So I've had to find different ways of talking to kids about like, it's not their fault without saying mm -hmm. that because it doesn't register because their perception is so deeply rooted either in their own mind that they've created it or someone has said 
you know, I've had parents tell their kids, like, if you were better, if you didn't cause all these problems, yep, that's a whole nother story. Right. So, so you have all those kinds of things and, but that's not always. So here's some interesting cases. I have cases where you don't have a lot of that messaging at all, but you have now a 25 year old or whatever person in addiction and you go back in their history and you look for where there's like fractures that you have to build on. And they're, they're typically not something that's been given to them family direct. It's usually their own. It's the perception Mm -hmm. of comparative socialized behavior of I'm not good enough because I've created that environment or I'm always falling short or I want approval and no one's, you know, no one's actively conscious. That was happening socially as opposed to in the home or in comparison to a a friend's family situation or something like that. Right. So, so that sits there and then it leads to the underlying fracture of ego, the self-observed and it's damaged and constantly saying, I'm not enough. I'm never going to be enough. I'm always waiting for criticism because I'm always criticizing yeah. myself. Everyone always leaves me, whatever it is. And then it's like, well, it's easy to go to um, the pill or the bottle or yeah. whatever it is because you, you know, you find friends in that. Yep. There's always a group of people that are going to do that with you. But as soon as you walk away from it, that friend group leaves. And that's why one of the reasons why it's hard for people to back away because like people don't think like, well, if I don't drink or if I don't do that, no one's going to like me. But that's one of the strengths of the recovery community is right. its cohesiveness. Right. And going back to the theme of the show uh, and being able, and for many people finding that camaraderie and cohesiveness in the, re, in the recovery community right. is, is the strength of the recovery community, I think. Well, it's that, so it's the, right, just like the team, right? It's the mm-hmm. universal shared experience that everyone has the same ism, got there in the same way, yep. just the story of how they got there in the same way is different, Yep. right? Yep. So when they come to the table, they have the connection that they were missing. When they're all together in universal shared experience, there's a cohesion that builds and a bond that now you have a, a group of people who love and understand and respect you. And they truly do. I mean, it's probably one of the, I mean, in all the years I've been doing psych, the AANA, GA, the A community in general is probably one of the most loving, caring, accepting, unconditional communities I've ever seen. Because work. that's what saved them. People yes. who are in the community came through that and learned the the gift and the power of that. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's and it's so it's like the team. Mm-hmm. It's a cohesive team. And sometimes there's teams, team players that leave or they or they get injured or mm-hmm. they die or they fall apart. Right. You know, yep. it's just, you know, but by and large it's such it's the it's the community that gets built as a family that the person didn't have before um, that didn't act in the loving, appropriate, unconditional, positive regard way that they needed. And it's one of the ultimate ride or die situations. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's why, you know, when I teach my classes in the college, I often tell people, well, if you don't understand addiction and you don't have it in you or your family, you know, you should read all about it because, it really gives you a good context and psychology of human nature of how to really understand families and dynamics and understanding of individual relationships and how to have an individual relationship with yourself. I think everyone should own the 12 step big book. Yeah. It's a great, I mean, like you talked about secret and we've talked about the other books, the 12, you know, the, you know, the traditions, you know, the 12 steps and the traditions or any, just a short version of that great life guideline. You don't need to have a, and it doesn't have, it's not Bible thumping. I mean, I know people are like, Oh, AA, yeah. it's all about God. No, you can think that, but it's not, it's about taking principles of saying, I'm going to live in a forward moving shirt, forward moving stance, instead of being stuck in my yep. blank, you know, and sitting in my, yep. and, and doing something about it because people get stuck in their pity party and say, Oh, poor me. And, people left me, the team fell apart, the family abandoned ship. Well, at the end of the day, you've got to do something to function. You have to function despite dysfunction. And what's an interesting part about the 12 steps to me is the way it teaches you to go back and deal with the past. Right. You know, making amends. Making amends, looking at your qualities and your character flaws to make sure that you're looking at your own self, staying in your own lane. But it's not about relitigating the past. It's about changing your relationship to the past. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's about not repeating what has not worked for you. 
because you were either taught it or you adopted it or you did both and then repeated it and got you into that position. Okay, we have a guest next week. Oh, we do. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for keeping me on track since you're the one that was all over the place today. Thank you very much. Hey, I give you half a show. Next week is exciting. I mean, all weeks are exciting in my opinion. Yep. But next week we have a former Olympic ice hockey player. His name is Dave Jensen. He will be here with us. He's going to be um, talking about lots of great things that he's done. I don't know how much about hockey we'll be talking about, but I'm sure that you, <laughs> Lou, will have lots of good questions slip for something him. In, sure. He's super fun. He um, he and I do the Bruins alumni event for the bowling, um, and we've done it for the past couple of years together. And he's a great friend and lovely man, and he is doing lots of um, good things with youth and the community of, um, of sobriety and uh, keeping kids healthy and well and adults and he's got lots to talk about because he's got some great projects so he'll be here with us next week so if you want to look him up you certainly can he used to play for the hartford whalers as well and a couple other things back but he um was 1984 olympic team so and if you are one of our audio only podcast customers we're now available on amazon music and the odyssey app so if you listen to edi eei and have the odyssey app thank you you can be able to find us and you can find us on everything uh, yes apple podcast google podcast spotify numbered different outlets exactly exactly all right you guys so the time on the wall says i'm done for the day which i'm not but i'm done here <laughs> um anyway um go out there and live your best lives and um do great things have a great week <laughs>